This episode of a sassy little podcast for getting over it is proudly sponsored by Rooted Planning Group. Financial planning is as important as a physical. Financial health matters too, and it's time to get your money in shape. Whether you're just starting out, planning a big purchase, looking toward retirement, or recovering from hardship, Rooted Planning Group is there for you. Take the first step toward your financial goals by visiting rootedpg.com. Hello and welcome to a sassy little podcast for Getting Over It. I'm your host, Sandra Ann Miller. Today, we're talking about getting the F over misunderstanding microdosing because Masha and Nine Perfect Strangers got it a bit wrong. Our guest is a lifestyle wellness and integration coach and co-host of the Bliss Project podcast. She also happens to be a fun gal to go out for cocktails with. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Noelle Tubner. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for coming because now that the series is out and when we're recording this, there's still, I think one more episode to go. So we haven't, we're not going to be able to give any spoilers. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And, but now people are talking about microdosing and what is it and how, why do people do it? And all of those kind of crazy things. What's the allure of microdosing these days? hundred (laughs) percent. 100%. Well, first, let me just say I'm not a doctor and I'm not a therapist. I'm not a licensed professional in any way. I am just a person who has experienced microdosing and has seen the benefits and really feel that it's something that can have a great impact um, on people and individuals in their journey. And there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that microdosing has helped people overcome anxiety and depression. But there aren't studies by science to allow doctors to make that claim. However, there was a study by John Hopkins and another by NYU on shrooms or psilocybin. Psilocybin, yes. Yeah. That's the professional name. Yes. But yeah, mushrooms. (laughs) Shrooms is just much easier to say. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Absolutely. That showed that a single dose appears to alleviate the symptoms of some illnesses of the brain, including depression. But these are like the full dose in a a single shot, not the microdosing. Further studies have shown that psilocybin significantly reduces anxiety in patients with life-threatening illnesses like cancer, that ketamine might have benefits as a rapid-fire antidepressant, and that MDNA improves outcomes for people suffering with PTSD. So there might actually be something to turning on, tuning in, and dropping some psychedelics. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, psychedelics, plant medicines, this kind of work has been around for a long time. You know, a lot of people are familiar with plant medicines and ayahuasca and those kind of journeys, if you will. And they're all doing the same thing in, in a sense of quieting your conscious mind, if you will, so that you can tap into your subconscious mind and clear out some of the stuff that's been going on. And when it talks about like traumas or PTSD, it gets to where you can actually, in that sense, quiet the story that you've been telling yourself or the story around the event that you've carried or held on to at this event. It allows you to see the event and it allows you to reframe the event. So when you talk about the differences between like a a journey or experience where you're actually taking a higher dose of something versus like a microdose, which you would do 
more so on a regular basis. The deeper journey does. It, it takes you to, you know, psychedelics helps you see things. Um, MDMA is a heart opener um, and allows you just to feel really good in the space. And then something like a ketamine is a disassociative. So it, it, it's more of like you can't really feel what's going on in your body. So you can start to see the different thoughts and how you interact with those different thoughts or essentially your story. Whereas with microdosing, you get more of this, um, this mini effect of the, the medicine in your system. And just like different pharmaceuticals do, they go to certain parts of your brain and do different things. They allow you to, or for my own, I'll say from my own personal experience, I have noticed that when I am on a protocol of some sort with microdosing, it does help with anxiety, um, just overall good feeling. I don't have a history of like depression or anxiety or anything that you could put in a box of is wrong with me. But, you know, I've had, you know, trauma from relationships and different things growing up and stuff I've had to work through. And we carry that in our body, whether we are aware of it or not. And sure. it'll show up as pain in our body or migraines, which is a big one for me, or anxiety. And I have found through my own experience, through microdosing, not only psilocybin, but also there was a time where I um, had tried LSD and both work in different ways, but really helped me with anxiety and just like this angst that I had, especially when I was in my last relationship and having problems within that relationship to be able to come from a clearer, more calm, more at peace, understanding way of dealing with the situation as opposed to all the stuff that was coming up in my body and being able to, you know, just I don't know how to explain it, except that it, it, it just, I'm assuming it's what kind of people really do with like antidepressants and all these other things. I've never experienced it. I just know that all the studies that are coming out and all the research that's being done by like the university and maps uh, with all these substances is they're finding it's quicker. It's, you know, it's a quicker process, um, especially going deep into some of these journeys. But in saying that it's not a one-time fix all, it's not go have a journey and experience clear out all your stuff and then you're fixed. Right. You know, there's what's called integration work, which is the work that I do. It's the work of after the experience of now, how do I take this new revelation or understanding or now new framework that I've created around myself, my life and how I'm going to show up in the world and actually implement it into my daily life? Because you will come out of these journeys experiencing sometimes really amazing feelings and, you know, feeling so like just in tune with everything and just like a pendulum swings, it's going to swing back the other way. And you're going to also feel the heaviness, the, your stuff showing up again, as you go through the next couple of days, even weeks after an experience. And if you don't have proper integration, which can be journaling, yoga, breath work, working with a coach or a therapist, there's a lot, you know, a psychiatrist or your own personal, whatever you choose then you're not, you're going to have that backlash of the experience and not understand why. And you're going to, well, what people are finding is that you want, you keep, they keep trying to get back to that experience. So then they'll go have another experience or journey. So they're stacking these journeys on top of each other, but they're not actually getting the, the true goodness out of it and the true results that they're hoping to get out of it because they're not taking the time to actually integrate the effects into their daily life. Well, you have to do the work. You have to do the work. And I mean, whether you, you know, for me, my own personal journey, like it, they've weaved in and out of my life 
and it was never if you would ask me even like two years ago, hey, you're going to be an integration and psychedelic coach. Yeah, no, that wasn't <laughs> what I thought I'd be doing at all. I know <laughs> even the fact that I'm on a podcast now talking about it. I was like, uh, yeah, but it, I've had such profound experiences myself, but I've had profound experiences because I've had the tools of prior to doing any of these experiences of daily journaling of yoga, of breath work, of meditation practice, you know, whatever. And for me, movement. So like, you know, fitness and health, which is my background has always been important to me. So moving the energy through my body and not letting it get stuck. And then I discovered a tool called human design that I really tapped into a couple of years ago. And I didn't know, I knew it changed my life in how I showed up in the world and how I understood myself. And it answered a whole bunch of questions about me, which was amazing. And I knew I wanted to get this information out to the world. I just didn't know how. And it turns out it's a really good integration tool to use in psychedelic experiences. Awesome. So a little bit about human design. What exactly is that? Because I think most of us know like what our astrology Absolutely, at least our yeah. sun sign, you know, whether they want to admit it or not, most people know at least, you know, if they're you're like, I'm a Scorpio. Yeah. You know, oh, you I'm an Aries. You. And yeah, you know what, if you say, if you say you're an Aries anywhere in public, like eight other Aries will turn around and go, me too. Yeah, my <laughs> son's an Aries too. So I, I, I know that energy. Well. And it was funny before he was born, I knew like one Aries. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to, I so I was like, I did the deep dive of what they were um, or what you are. Um, so human design is another, it's a system as well. So it's based on what, you know, the day you were born, the time you were born and where you were born. Um, it brings together the principles of the I Ching, astrology, Kabbalah, and your chakra system. And it, it basically is your soul map. It's where your soul and your personality met when you were born and how you show up in the world. Uh, there's five different types uh, there's generators and manifesting generators. That's like 80% of the population. Those are like your nine to fivers, your go-getters, your get shit done people, right? Then you have your manifestors. Those are the people that come up with the ideas and you know need your generators and those kind of people to implement it. Then you have your projectors, which is what I am. And the projectors are here to guide. They're here to show you a different way of doing things. They're not here to necessarily invent something new, but almost reinvent what's already working. They're a newer type. And then you have the reflectors, which is an even smaller percent, like 3%, which are literally here to reflect back to you what's going on in the world. And if when I first started to look into human design, I was like, I am a generator. I am a go-getter. I'm a get you done. I'm an independent single mom. Nobody needs to help me. I got it. I got it. Right. <laughs> but I was always exhausted. I was always like, again, migraines. I've had adrenal exhaustion three times in my life. Like I could never understood why I couldn't keep up with everybody else that was doing the same thing as me, but, and, and not better or worse, but just, I couldn't keep up and I, I didn't get it. And then when I found out I was a projector, to be honest, I was a little pissed off because I was like, what do you mean I'm a projector? <laughs> I'm like, that's not, and on top of it, I'm a self-projected projector, which is like the rarest projector you can have. And I'm like, of, of course I am. But to explain, it explained my whole life. It was like, oh, you're not supposed to work all day long. Like you're more productive. So with a projector, you have what's um, what's called your authority and, and essentially how you're supposed to, or your, sorry, your strategy and how you're supposed to show up in life. And a projector is wait for an invitation, which is really frustrating as a description, because it doesn't mean sit on your butt and literally wait for shit to happen. It just means flow through your life, 
do things that kind of, you know, feel good to you. And then the, the, the things will show up for you. But if you're a person like a generator, which is there is there's is to respond, you can be passionate about like, I want to, you know, build a car. And because you're passionate about a car, you can go get the stuff, you can build the car, you can make it happen, because you're so focused, we're like a projector is more of like, Oh, this is what's coming into me. So I have to follow this. This is why they make these good guides, coaches, the way I describe it. It's like you're sitting on top of the house, like a bird looking over and you can see everything that's going on and how it works and sometimes show the others how to make it better. But it, it gave me an understanding of it was okay that I couldn't keep up and that I was more tired and that I needed more rest. And, you know, that I, I had the flow. I always naturally felt that I was so resistant to it's kind of like trying to fit in that box and I'm a mm-hmm. big freaking circle. It allowed me to be the circle. It allowed me to be that that puzzle piece if you will that I was that felt authentically me. And by starting to shift and live that design and it was lucky I was able to start doing this when covid hit. So I I kind of had this like divine timing if you will of like oh the world's shutting down. I don't have to go to work every day. I'm not it took me out of the hustle. And it gave me the time to really go, okay, well, let me try this out. Let me see how this works for me. And it was amazing. And what's been interesting since like the world is coming back, if you will, Mm -hmm. I find myself going back into these like tendencies of habits, which were the hustle. And going back to the normal. So no, exactly the normal. With, with finger quote, we're, we're finger quoting. We're finger quoting. <laughs> exactly, with the normal. And it, but it's true. It's like, and and how like uncomfortable that feels in my body, and how quickly the universe shows me that hey, not going to work. Like you can try this, but we're going to like make it so obvious this is not the way that you need to go that it's almost like painful. So it it makes me take that step back and interwoven into this process has been a few medicine journeys that have also really just shown me that it's kind of like shifting into this work. Like this is the piece, the the gift that we gave you this extra little tool. And this is the tool that you're supposed to take into this work that you're now supposed to do with helping other people through this process. So, and then also trusting it, you know, Mm -hmm. not going, okay, well, that was whack. I don't, you know, I'm a single mom. I have a kid to support. What are you thinking? But also, you know, knowing that I almost don't have a choice, like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and really honoring that, but also having reverence for the work I've done in my life, the jobs, whatever careers that I've done in my life, and also knowing that there has to be this balance between the work I still have to do while building this new thing. Right. Well, I think a lot of people have gone through that kind of journey during COVID, during lockdown is really taking a look at their life, who they are and how they want to live because we had that opportunity to just kind of sit and be not that it was necessarily pleasurable for anyone. And and for those people who really needed to work and couldn't and lost, you know, a lot that's so I'm definitely not just saying, Hey, it was a great time to just really look yeah, inside. No, there no. was definitely those moments for me too. You yeah. Know, of like, Oh, I do have another human being that's depending on me. Right. What am I doing? Right. So I understand that too. Yeah. But it's, we had a chance to reflect and see life in a different way and ask ourselves, how do we want to move forward? And mm-hmm. now that we're, we're getting back to finger quote normal, <laughs> you know, 
we're seeing that I don't like this. Yeah. It doesn't feel comfortable. The first, I think everybody's bitched about the first time that they were stuck in traffic. Again, talk about anxiety again. Yeah. I was like, like, Oh, wait a minute. This isn't supposed to be happening and not wanting to rush to work or rush home, you know, at the end of the day or rush to an appointment. I think we've all kind of said there's a different way to live and a different way of being and life is short and it's fragile. And what is going to make me more satisfied? Yeah. When you show up in your day and it might be running around and answering emails and texts, and that might be like your thing and you're good with it. And that's awesome. But it's like, there's so much conditioning put onto us that this is the way we're supposed to be as opposed to this is what feels right to me. Right. And I think that adds to a lot of depression and anxiety. And I think we have a huge amount of our population now suffering with PTSD. I'm sure every medical even coming out of COVID. Absolutely. Definitely. But I I think of the healthcare workers and the first responders that have been, you know, doing this battle for so long without a break. And there's, there's going to be, I think, I think a tsunami of, of grief and, and shared trauma that we haven't yet met. We haven't even said, yeah, we haven't even like cut that. We were talking about this in a, in a training that I'm doing. Like there's, there's already so much out there, which is why this work is so important. And I think it's why the topic of like plant medicine, psychedelics, um, and other therapies are being talked about now because there's so much success with it that because we know that we're headed in this direction where there's going to be more stuff, you know, more people needing help essentially that the best options for them might be these alternative therapies as opposed to going down the same path. There was a map study and I might get this a little wrong. So I'm just going to kind of go with what I, I believe sure. I know it to be. Um, but they took a hundred, um, there's a hundred veterans that had suffered from PTSD. And I believe the average of time they were on therapy was over 17 years. And they did a therapy with MDMA. And then in between three MDMA sessions, they did 12 weeks of psychotherapy. And at the end of that time, there was a 97% like cure rate is not the right word, but just better off Mm -hmm. medications, off everything that the 17 years, these people had been in therapy and on different pharmaceuticals and through three MDMA sessions with the psychotherapy in between, which is the integration. So understanding what happened during that experience to integrate it in so that when they went to the next experience, they could now work on the next piece as opposed to just layering. Like I said, well, they did the work. Piece. They did the work in between. And I think more people are wanting to do the work. They're curious about the work. I mean, having a show like nine perfect strangers come on. And even though it's a little bit far-fetched <laughs> in the sense that it's not microdosing at all, right. It's, you know, and you would never go to a treatment center or retreat or whatever they're calling it, where they wouldn't be telling you that this is what you're going to be doing. You know, you're fully aware when you're going in. And then also the amount that they're dosing um, and some of the stuff that's happening. Like, yes, there are things like that that happen in experiences. But seeing that there's a show like that, I believe it's on Hulu, that's out right now and starting to show that, yeah, this is, there is something to this. 
Mm-hmm. You know, universities are doing studies. John Hopkins is doing studies. You know, it's close. I mean, ketamine is already legal in clinics because they've seen such amazing results with it. And I think MDMA is on track for like 2023. And then psilocybin is pretty close after that. So it's it's happening. It's just now you have like where the underground world is meeting the above ground world in the sense of having this to offer. And if you look at like plants like ayahuasca and iboga and wachuma and the plants that are used down, you know, um, in other countries, it's, it's part of their life. It's part of their tribe. It's part of rites of passage. It's, they've always connected with the plants. And, you know, when you start to get into the work, you always start to understand that the plants will call to you. Like you will know when it's your time. The plant has its own timeline. The plants have their own, their own, um, agenda, if you will. It's not yours. Once you kind of step into this world, whether it's microdosing, whether it's doing a full uh, journey, it's you're on that that plant's timeline, if you will. Yeah. Um, and how much you decide to show up, how much the, you decide to do the work, how much you decide to just really embrace the process uh, will determine, you know, where it takes you. Well, yeah. And you have to be ready. Like you have to be. Oh, you have to be ready. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm saying this like I know. I mean, I. <laughs> I've never done drugs. I once took a Vicodin too early. I thought I felt my cramps coming on and it was a false alarm. So I got a little high off that. I was like, wow, that's that's exactly what I said. I went into my boss's office. I'm like, wow. (laughs) It's like, oh my God. But, you know, so that was a one-off. And then I, I smoked some oregano in New York once. Oh but, that, but that was because totally nothing happened. So I just figured, wow. Anyway, so I'm not, I mean, give me a cocktail, totally fine, but I'm not right. this like experienced person. Psychedelics. I'm really not either. Like if you look at what, the amount of journeys, I've done hardly anything yeah, compared to some of these people. But we, and I'm not saying that as, you know, I'm so clean right. and pure. It's just, I'm, I want to make sure that I'm not, I'm, I'm not speaking from a place of knowledge on this. Right. But the other thing that I think you probably have done, you know, just knowing that you're a writer and stuff too, is like, you've done other work, you've done the integration pieces. And, you know, I, I've done journeys, I've done ayahuasca, I've done psilocybin, I've done MDMA, like I've done ketamine, like I've tried a good gamut of things. But I think because I've done so much work prior Mm -hmm. to the experience, not even knowing that's what I was doing. It just was my lifestyle, if you will. Um, and then doing the work in between, like prior intention setting, then going to the experience and then doing my integration work afterwards. I think that's why now, you know, the past two experiences I've had have been pretty amazing. And in a sense, fun might not be the right word, but it just was, um, when the best way I can describe it is that one, I did a lot of the work right in the beginning of the experience and two, when something that was dark or something that was just felt a little uncomfortable, there was more of a hmm, curiosity. What are you? And, you know, what, what can I do? Like, how do we, what do we do with this? As opposed to scared, not wanting to see it running away or like really having to process it afterwards. And it, and it's not to say that I'm not still processing some of these things afterwards. It's just, there's a different energy behind how, I'm approaching journeys at this point in time, it could Mm -hmm. all change, but at this point in time, and it's, it's been an interesting part of the process for me because in doing 
integration work when working with other people, as well as communicating with people I've gone through ceremony with and just the training and different stuff that I'm doing. It's just a nice place for me to be in because I, I feel like it gives me a really good understanding of the process. Right. And, you know, we are always looking for a quick fix here in America. We want a Band-Aid to slap it on and then it to be better the next day. Yeah. And nothing that is long lasting happens that way. You, you right. And that's why I keep saying you have to do the work. Not that the 17 years that the, those veterans weren't doing the work. It's just. But that's probably why they had the amazing results that they did. Exactly. Because they already had all these tools in place before they even went through the process of using medicine. And that's where like, you know, microdosing too can come in in a sense for people if they're new, like for somebody like you who's never tried anything, you might want to try a microdosing protocol first just to start getting the the medicine into your system and see how it affects you. You're not going to feel, I thought you told people when you microdose, you're not going to feel high. That's why like in Nine Perfect Strangers, when they're like, ooh, I'm feeling it, that's not a microdose. <laughs> that's like, we need a macro. Like you're you're in a different thing because you you don't you don't feel it in that sense. You just feel kind of like when you have a, a drink, like one drink, you just have this like more relaxed kind of feeling about yourself, right? And with the different protocols, you know, with microdosing, the one I like what's called either three day or every third day. So like with psilocybin specifically, you do it every third day. And the golden day is what is essentially the second day. So you take it and like, but the next day, where there's a lot of athletes and stuff that are starting to use microdosing protocols as well. That's like the day where if like you're a runner, you go on your long run, like that's your like game on day. And then you have your third day, which is still or the third day in, which is still a good feeling day. And then you go right back in and do it again. So it's kind of like this nice little like wave Mm -hmm. as opposed to like a big up and big down, um, which can happen with other medications. And also with the bigger experiences, you can have this like amazing experience. And then if you don't really take care of yourself on the way down, you can have that crash at the bottom. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing that we, we kind of run into when we're looking for the quick fix. Yeah. The high and the crash. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at the crash, you're like, well, it didn't work. Well, it's like, well, how do you know? Because you didn't do the work. You, you know, you, we take for granted, like, this is it. This is the answer because it feels so good. And then when it all kind of, you know, hits the skids, it's like, oh, well, that was just the wrong thing. It's, it's finding that balance. And, and again, being, being responsible and, and sticking with it and diving deeper because we can be a little surface here yeah. and, it's, and it's really hard to go down deeper because that's where the pain is. That's where the questions are. That's where the problems lie. So, you know, it, it takes some courage to want to get better and to, to really discover who you are. Yeah. And just to re, I mean, it's so, you know, Joe Dispenza, who is an amazing person who works with like meditation and quantum physics and all his work is the same thing, like these meditations to rewire your brain and the stories of the stuff that happened with people coming out there out of his working with him is amazing. And it's meditation. It's literally like shifting the energy in your body and like literally creating these new neural pathways, which the way I like to describe it, it's like, think of like when you ski, not that I'm a skier, but this is just the best thing I can describe. (laughs) Like, but as you go down the mountain, you start, there's tracks. So by the end of the day, you're, 
skiing over other people's tracks, right? Right. So that's your brain. That's your thoughts. That's your habits. There are these tracks and it's just on autopilot, right? Well, when you do like deep meditation practice or like a psychedelic or plant experience, it lays fresh powder, right? So you have this opportunity within the experience and coming out of the experience to create a new thought, to create a new habit, to create a new pattern right? But those tracks are still deep down in there. So like, if you don't start to rework those tracks, to create that better feeling thought to rework that story that you've always told yourself about whatever it was, then those old tracks are going to creep back up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that tends to be what happens when people don't take the time to fully integrate or do the work after, you know, as they have this amazing experience, the fresh powder falls, but they don't do the stuff that needs to happen to reframe that story. And the old stuff starts to creep in. And that's where for me, human design comes in and makes such an impact because like I said, it's kind of, it's your soul map or your roadmap. It's who you are when you came into this world before you were told, oh, well, you're a girl. So you have to do this, or you got to go to school and college and get your degree. And then you go get a job and then you retire. And yeah, you're supposed to be a mother by age 30. Like whatever these things that we were told that may not be us at all. Right. And so and trying in, in working to start to do this work to get back to your authentic self, here's like a clue, if you will, this human design it gives you a clue into who you are and who, how you show up in the world. So you can start taking this person that you've made yourself because, you know, that's what we're supposed to do back to meet the person of who you were when you came to this world and how you do that, whether it be, you know, I have clients that don't do psychedelics at all. Like we, we do like a daily journaling process. We do body mapping, we do stuff with chakra mapping. And so there's other tools that can also help with this process. Mm-hmm. I just find that because the conversation is shifting and it's becoming a little bit more intriguing and acceptable to add these things in, they're starting to be curious and, and seeing the benefits of these experiences. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is, you know, we have this whole, well, we're so, we're so prude. <laughs> you know, we, we have this idea that, you know, oh, we're just I was go- that person at one time, you yeah. know, like I felt like I was that like, oh my God, really? No. Yeah. Well, you know, we have this idea that it's just, you know, it's bad. It's going to take you down a bad path. The next thing you know, you're going to be shooting. I up. don't do drugs. Drugs are shameful. Yes. And it's not a, but now it's medicine. So we call it something. You know, and that's like, it. But it's still, if you, if you, if you say LSD, if you say magic mushrooms, if you say, you know, MDMA, ecstasy, Molly, you know? yeah. yeah. If you say, I don't even know what K. I, I was saying even like ketamine. Yeah. That's, yeah, special yeah. K. <laughs> so, th- thank you. So, you know, it's, it's all labeled and it's, you know, it's, it's labeled as bad, but if there are therapeutic uses for it that are beneficial for people who are really suffering, yeah, you know, it's something to be open to. And, and then there's the worry, you know, of course we've heard it all, you know, it's like pot's legal. The only thing I wish we would outlaw is smoking in the car because after all this time, (laughs) couldn't you make something that smells better? Well, it's so weird too, because like, you know, in California, like not a lot of people smoke anywhere, you know, there's like faith and stuff. So when you actually see somebody with a cigarette, it's weird to me because it's like when I go back to Missouri and there's like people still smoking inside restaurants, I'm like, okay, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) But, and it's, but again, you're right. Like smoking is legal, totally freaking legal. So it's, it's, 
I just don't like smelling it. It's like, especially when it's a lot of it. And it's like, really? Okay. Like, you and know. then you go home and you smell like it. And then it's just like it's, this whole yeah. thing. So that, that's my whole thing. It's like, eh, I don't like this. <laughs> but, you know, so we're, we're learning and we've learned even that with marijuana, like how it can help people. And especially, and it yeah. started with people who were going through chemotherapy and yeah. the benefits it had for them. And so, you know, it's, it's, keeping an open mind. If there are studies that show that it's beneficial to this degree, why not let it be used in that manner to help people? Well, and if you, help? Yeah. And if you do, I mean, there's a huge intake process that goes into this, whether you're doing ayahuasca. I mean, nowadays there's a huge intake process that goes into this because, you know, facilitators, you know, who are running these journeys or shamans or whatever, you know, they prefer to be called are actually working with doctors because if somebody is coming in with like PTSD or does have like bipolar, there's certain things that you have to be fully aware of Mm -hmm. before going through one of these experiences. And you can't be on normal medications. Like if you were bipolar and you were on medication for bipolar and you went into ayahuasca, it would not be a good thing. Right. So it's really important for people who are wanting to experience this as well. Like you have to be so honest with what's actually going on in you because the person who is facilitating and doing this this journey for you like they need to know what what might come up and mm-hmm. you know that's part of the 90 day program i have is part of that it's like doing this journal work every day to see what's really going on cuz you might think oh well i just went through a divorce and i just need to like find myself or whatever it might be But really, it's about when you were five and you were left alone and you were abandoned and that's what shows up. So like having context for your journey before you go into it is super important. Mm -hmm. Um, And also having that context to offer whoever is going to hold space for you. I mean, my first ayahuasca journey was when I was in my early 20s. I went on a yoga retreat to Peru. This was not even part of the conversation. And literally one afternoon, they're like, hey, we're going to do ayahuasca tonight and sit with a shaman. I was like, uh, what? I'm sorry. I no idea what it was. No idea what it was going on. But it was one of those life-changing experiences for me. You know, it was like, I don't, I like the only way I can describe it is I came back to LA. I changed everything that I was doing and it totally changed the tra- trajectory of my life. So it, I had, again, I was on a yoga retreat. It was not something, nobody <laughs> asked me if I had health issues. Nobody asked me like if I had anything going on. It was like, hey, this is the activity right. for tonight, you know? And we were in the middle of the jungle with an amazing shaman. And, you know, there was, I think the integration happened because I did yoga. Like there was no, it was an interesting thing, right? But that mm-hmm. was 25 years ago where people were literally going to stay in huts with no electricity in the middle of the Amazon and doing this kind of stuff. Now there's like fancy retreat centers and, you know, you can have like your five-star experience on the medicine if you want, you know? So, and I think it's come a long way in the sense that you do have like shamans and facilitators that are really wanting, understanding how effective this medicine and this work is and why it's so important to make sure that we have the whole picture of a person before going into these experiences, even with microdosing, because again, like, you can't be on certain medications and then drop, you know, then drop microdosing and it doesn't work that way. Well, you can't just stop taking your medications. Yeah. Cause you, those have, I mean, God, those side effects, good Lord. Yeah. That's are, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And so it's, it's understanding that, you know, as an individual, if you're interested in this, you need to be responsible in who you choose and how who honest you, you are. And telling your doctor that you're wanting to come off your medication or whatever it might be, right. you know? 
And there's plenty of facilitators out there now because a lot of, you know, therapists and like psychiatrists and stuff, they're now shifting their work into this work because they've seen such positive results. And the beautiful thing is they have the education and the training of a therapist and they're able to provide support in this space. So it's, it's a great combo that you're starting to see happen in this world. I think it's, I think it's interesting. And I think now that, you know, that it's been on Hulu. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Now that it's mainstream, you know, we'll we'll see if it doesn't become, yeah, we'll see if it doesn't become a little bit more common. I mean, it was like everybody in tech was doing like microdosing LSD. Well, LSD's big trend was, yeah, it was, so like that was something that was introduced to me. I want to say it was probably six years ago now, seven years ago. And again, I was in a relationship and we were having issues and I was, and I, my only experience with acid or LSD was like 18 hour trips. Right. And I think I'd done like three times in my life. And I was like, I don't know if this is, I don't get it. Right. But I did a deep dive. I started reading articles and like wall street, like the, the guys on wall street were doing it because it gave you this clear focus. Like you could get this clear centered focus from doing microdosing of LSD. So I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And it actually really helped me through a time in that relationship where I needed something to take the edge off, if you will. Um, and just give me a clearer way of thinking. And it wasn't, you know, with any microdosing protocol, like I said, it's not something that you do every day, or even like, say you did that three day protocol I mentioned earlier, you do that for like a month, and then you take a break, mm-hmm. right? And then there's supplements, you know, other mushrooms like reishi, chaga, cordyceps, B vitamins, um, different protocols you can do and cocktail it, if you will, to help support you um, so that you don't have such a, even after journeying after, uh, up and down experience. So that's part of like the integration work as well is figuring out like nutrition and supplements and stuff that can support your brain health during this process. Well, and and that to me is the basis of everything. And we, we don't, I mean, I know I talk enough about it, I'm sure, but I don't think we as Americans talk enough about it, our diet and what we eat and what we allowed into our food supply. And, you know, and, and when you're, it affects us. exactly, because, you know, doctors never ask, well, what's your diet? Like, you know, if you're suffering from these things, how are you feeding yourself? Because if you're yeah. on a lot of processed foods, if you're on a lot of sugar, if or you're soda. On, yeah. It, you know, you know, yeah. That's not going to help your, your depression or your anxiety. It, it's well, it's, and most of the time when you journey like ayahuasca, for example, like specifically, but a lot of times you go on a certain uh, diet, um, diet that before um, cutting out certain things so that your body's in a clean state to be able to receive the medicine. It's not required. It's just a recommend recommendation, but before any, and like I said, there's different supplements and stuff you can take to support it too, but it's getting your body in this clean space because people, I mean, sugar, sugar is not a drug, but it, it could, you know, it has the it same is. addictive qualities yeah. as like smoking cigarettes and stuff, but people don't think because it's in my like chewing gum and my candy and like stuff that you can buy off the shelf at the store that it's, you know, as a kid, that it's actually bad for you, but it is. And then the chemicals that are in food, same thing. Like your body doesn't know what to do with those. So right. it, it goes somewhere. And we trust what's on our shelves is safe because yeah. it's there. And we expect, you know, our government to be taking care of it and looking out for us. But there are things in our food that Russia won't allow. Exactly. Or for, I was just saying, yeah. France, like all that kind of, like there's all these things that we have in our, our processed food, if you will. Yeah. Um, that we can't eat over there. So it's, 
it's interesting. And even the other thing to take into consideration too, is also like the different chemicals that are in like lotion, shampoos Mm -hmm. and stuff that is on our body that, cause your skin is the biggest organ. Like it absorbs just as much. So, you know, there's been a lot more talk about like organic and, you know, natural and like knowing the difference between these products, but they have an effect too, you know, on you, if you're using some chemical constantly on your body, the effects that it's going to have on your body. I mean, I think it was, I forget what sunblock it is. It might be, I don't want to say over because I can't remember, but there's a whole thing coming out now of it being recalled because they're proving that it causes cancer. So it's like, and those are the things where you're like, yes, but you wear sunblock and like protect your skin and blah, 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 blah. And then you're like, but on the flip side here. We have to look at our, our bodies and our minds at, as a, and our spirits as a whole unit. And it all- yeah, as a temple. Yeah, it, it all works together. And so what you're doing, you know, just by what you're eating can affect your mind. Yeah. You know, if you're not moving your body, it can affect your- your spirit and your mood, you know, it's, it's all one thing. So if you're taking care of yourself altogether, and this isn't, this isn't judging, this isn't sizes, this isn't diet culture talk at all. This is looking at your first medicine is the food and food and, and and like breath breathing. Yeah. Like learning to slow down your breath, learning, like, you know, when you're having a moment, like to close your eyes, center yourself and just take a deep breath like we take that for granted every day that we like can walk can talk and like it just like our body's doing so many amazing things without us even thinking Mm -hmm. about it and learning to connect back to that and then like you said the food that we eat and I'm not preaching here like I don't eat chocolate and don't have a glass of wine I mean I come on like let's be real but I will never pass up a french fry ever oh me right there with your sister (laughs) you know but it's like but I'm aware, like, you know, I'm about 90% really freaking good. And then there's that 10%, you know, my mom always just said everything in moderation. And I am such a firm believer of that I spent so many years dieting, and not being kind to myself and my body, and really didn't learn to be kind to myself and my body until I got pregnant. And there was like another human being inside of me that I knew I needed to take care of. And it shifted my whole mindset in in what I put in my body, how I treated my body. In, in, the, in the same thing, like you said, with movement, with everything, because it was like, oh, it's not just me yeah. anymore. And part of me was like, well, why didn't I ever do this just for myself? Like, why did there have to be- Because we need an excuse. We fall into these patterns, you know, where there's a drive through. So just drive through it because it can't be yeah. that bad for you. They're putting the calories up you're there. You know what, what you're consuming. So take it and eat it. And then you wonder why you don't feel good. And, yeah. you know, exercise, exercise, you know, I'm too busy. Well, and then you wonder why your body aches and, and all of that stuff. It's, and this isn't coming from a place of judgment. This is our culture. This is, this is the we, conditioning. This is we, like, yeah, this is what we're to trained do. to do. Absolutely. And just going back to, you know, the tracks of the snow and the patterns in your brain, it, it's hard to break those habits. It really, really is, but it's so important to take care of your whole self in the yeah. best way that you can. And it's easy to say if, you know, you have enough money to go to the store and buy organics when you aren't, when you're living at poverty level, you don't have those options and and it's harder to eat better. So there's that to consider as well, how we, how we don't make nutrition 
a priority. Exactly. And well, and it a lot comes down to mindset too, because you could be eating all the organic plant-based amazing food (laughs) in the world. But if you're telling yourself, you know, that you're uh, for lack of better words, a shitty person or that you don't like, if you're feeding yourself that exactly, you're digesting that energy just as well. So you could be the cleanest diet on the planet, but if you're telling yourself a crappy story about yourself, then you're pretty much canceling that clean diet out. Exactly. And, and I don't say this lightly. I've, I've had a couple friends who were heroin addicts and they juiced every morning and they ran and then they shot up. Yeah. You know, and, and ate all organic and all of that, but you know, and so again, taking care of your whole self, it's not punishing yourself in another way, whether it's abusing drugs or, or alcohol or the way that you, that you think of yourself or talk to yourself. It's breaking those habits. Yes. Yes. yes, You know, in, in the coaching that I do and in like the 90 day program that I do your piece that we might drop in after the first 30 days might just be changing your diet or attitude about your diet, like how your intention setting behind eating, or it might be adding meditation, mindfulness, and some, some piece, it might not be microdosing or a plant journey. You know, that might not be what you're ready for. Um, because I think building the, the foundation of, of what's going to support you through this whole entire process, whether you ever get to the medicine or not is way more important than going and having a journey and hoping it's going to fix everything. Right. You know, journeying for me has been, I want to say like, I've done all, I could meditate every day for the next 20 years, but I went and did a couple of medicine journeys and I was able to work through some of that stuff a little quicker. And to me, that was appealing because I had done all I had done. I had gone as far as I thought I thought I could go with the practices I had. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there was a time to go to the next level. And this is what has presented itself at different times in my life over the past, you know, 20 or so years, it wasn't like all of a sudden in the last year, I'm like, this is what I'm doing. It's shown up. It's been, it's been talking to me for a while. I just wasn't fully listening, partly because it was like, oh, well, I don't need that. I can just, you know, I should be able to do this through meditation or, you know, that's not the person I am or this, is, I don't need that fix, but then really embracing it and being like, oh, wait a minute, but this is actually a really beautiful experience I get to go have. And I'm also ready to do everything else that I need to do to really embody this mm-hmm. experience and what I've discovered in this process to help up level myself. Because I feel like the more I can improve upon myself, one, it's, not, it's going to help me be a better mother and help my son, you know, and how I, I raise him in this world. And to me, that's really all that matters. Yeah. Yeah. And accepting yourself and being kind to yourself. We don't do that enough. And, you know, we're, we're very hard on ourselves. We're very hard on other people and we, but we can be nicer to other people than we can be to ourselves. Well, and to be honest with you, me going into these journeys initially was to fix myself mm-hmm. to figure out what was wrong. And one of the, the the second time I did ayahuasca in my life, which was last November, ironically, 20 years apart from the first time, um, the medicine was, it was funny, because I had the worst migraine that day, and I wasn't going to go. But it had shown up, like I put it out there that I wanted to do it. And it all kind of aligned. And I was like, I'm supposed to be there. So I went. And the migraine became part of the journey. You know, ayahuasca is like the mother plant. You know, she gives you what you need. And they say the energy of ayahuasca moves like a snake, right? So for me, it was like this intense, extreme pain of this migraine. And then like the pain would be completely gone. And then I'd go back into the pain of the migraine. 
and then it would be gone. And in the middle of all that, there was this beautiful space where, you know, the medicine was like, Hey, like you're good. Stop trying. Like there's nothing else to fix. Like there's work to be done, but Mm -hmm. don't, don't, there's no big thing. Like it's now time for you to like go hold space for yourself, like appreciate and like honor yourself and go hold space for your son and go help hold space for others and Mm -hmm. serve. And I came out of that experience and it was so crazy because like with ayahuasca, you're in a room or, you know, you're in a space and you stay in the space, right? And you're aware of everything else that's going on in the room, but you're in your own journey. And it's really important to always pull yourself back in your own journey because people will be throwing up and crying and laughing and talking and, you know, making all kinds of noises, but you got to pull yourself back to yourself. And the next day, the guy that was next to me, like, I, I remember like, connecting and hearing his energy during the night and he had a lot he was coming to process because you know before you talk a little bit in the circle so everybody has an idea of what's happening and he looked at me that morning and he's like I just want to thank you for holding space for me and I was like I'm sorry and he was like he goes you I, I literally laid down and he I looked like I was sleeping he's like you looked like you were so peaceful the whole entire night and every time I was really going through it I knew I could look at you and I know that it would be okay. And that was kind of my confirmation of what I had experienced during that journey. And it was now time to go out and get to work and show up and just say, okay, universe, I'm ready. You show me the way. And how am I supposed to do this work? And it's been amazing what's shown up for me since then in, in moving into this work of integration and, and medicine work. Awesome. And so that brings us to the bliss project. Yeah, my little <laughs> podcast, my friend Mariana. That's, you know, that to me was a passion project of years of not feeling like I was being creative in my world. And, you know, I was a dancer and actress and like I was a creative artist, writer, po- you know, that was my world. And I was in the work mode for so long. And we took a trip to Sedona, another magical place. If you haven't been, I highly suggest it. Um, and we were talking, we were listening to podcasts on the way and I was like, Hey, I've always wanted to do a podcast. She's like, Oh my God, I'd be down to do that too. And that's literally how it was birthed. (laughs) Right. And the whole idea behind the bliss project is, you know, I wanted to tell people, well, one selfishly, I wanted to talk to people Mm -hmm. that I wanted to have conversations with. Right. And this was like my way to do that. Um, but have conversations with people about, you know, how, they either got to their bliss, how the, the struggles or experience or like their life stories that they've gone through to get to where they are now and how they're they're showing up each day to create their bliss or their passion or whatever word you fit into that box. And it's been a great experience. You know, we're only, I think, 11 episodes in right now, but it's been it's introduced me to some amazing people. It's given me a platform to start talking about the integration work in psychedelics, which is awesome. Um, and it's also just it's giving me back that, like, that, that feeling of I'm being of service, I I have something to offer other people, somebody's going to get something out of this, right. And that's, to me, most important Mm -hmm. out of any of this, I think once you get to the point in your life, where you realize it's not all about you, and the more you can show up and find your way to help the rest of society or the world or whatever you want to call it out. I mean, that feeling is so much more fulfilling than just doing something for myself. Yes. I mean, I love the connection. Yeah, absolutely. Community connection. Absolutely. And that's, that was the whole point of doing this because I, we were so locked in when I, when I started it and I felt so far removed because I wasn't able to write. It wasn't writer's block. 
It was a lack of joy and optimism. And yeah, I miss that connection. Yeah, the conversation that you have between your characters and the readers and, and all of that, the thread of the story that we all sort of share, which mm. in this case is life. You know, we, we are all part of the same fabric. And so, you know, being at war with each other to me is just frustrating and irritating and heartbreaking. And it really is there. Like there doesn't need to be this separation that no, seems to no. be happening right now. And it's, it's interesting in some ways, like people are feeling so connected, mm-hmm. like connected to themselves, connected to God, to the universe, to source, whatever you want to call it. So it's the fact that there's something bigger than them yes. out there. And then also feeling so disconnected from each other because they can't relate to certain things. And it's just, it's almost, I had this the other day where I'm like, I honestly can't believe this is what's happening in our world right now. It's really like. The the dawning of the age of the Aquarius was just, you know, kind of womp womp. Well, and it was, I mean, like, it was like the age of Aquarius was all about like this big human shift and there's definitely a human shift happening. And I think we can take out the F. Yeah. (laughs) So true. But it's just, it's it's like, there are these moments that I like, stop and pause and I'm like okay this is this is actually happening like this is okay and you know not getting anxious about certain things not over worrying or overthinking, which is a hard one for me because I will create every yeah not suffering on my own account like creating stories that haven't even happened yet to like I'm like why am I doing that to myself it's in my human design (laughs) so I'm fully aware of repeating the past and reworking the past. That was a, it's interesting. There's seven fear gates in human design. I have every single one of them. And so when I saw, first of all, the woman who did my reading, she like called me and like prefaced me. She was like, I just want you to look at this first because I've never seen this before. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking it's something amazing. Right. And she's like, you have all your fear gates. And I'm like, oh, so, which just means I have a shit ton of karma to work through, which I knew this when I was like five, right. I just now have and understanding that, yes, this is what I came to do. And the thing with your fear gates, the beautiful thing is like, if you use the fear gates in the right way, you're empowered and you feel amazing. If you use them in the wrong way, you're literally like crawling under the covers and, you know, covering your head. But I think where I was going with this, one of them is fear of repeating the past or overthinking in the sense of like, I will create these stories either about stuff that happened in my past that didn't happen. Like I'll rework it and I'll create this whole story that never even happened. Or I'll then create a story in the future that hasn't happened yet. And I'm completely worried about it. So it's been a huge part of my work, the endless work in this process too. And, and something that microdosing and, and <laughs> flat medicine has, has definitely helped with for sure. Yeah. And understanding yourself, how, whatever path that takes for you. You know, and then just, I'm okay, just like this, yes. even with all those gates. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, giving up the idea that, that we're supposed to be perfect or that we're supposed to be, you know, Oprah level. Oh, wait, I am so, perfect. Didn't I tell you that? I'm completely perfect. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. So boring. Exactly. Um, but, or, or have like Oprah level, you know, success. Like we create these kind of expectations yeah. that are so. That we try to fit into or live yeah, up to. It, and that have no no purpose being anywhere near us or 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 
in any form of reality. It's just accepting who we are as we are. And of course, improving where we can. That's what this is all about. But finding the tools that will help us, whatever they are. Yeah. And that acceptance, you said, you know, like, there's always work, but that acceptance along the way Mm -hmm. of like, I'm good. I'm whole. I'm, you know, like whatever. I'm enough. I'm amazing. Yeah. I'm enough. Like use whatever words you need to. The power of I am is so amazing. And, but knowing that if you're one way one day and then you like go a little different next day and then you go a little different, like that's all okay. Yes. Cause that's your path. That's your journey. That's your, your life. It's, it's your authentic self. Like, and as long as you're doing it from a place of, like you said, I am enough, I got this, I am, then you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. If you're doing it because, well, I'm trying to impress this person, or I'm hoping that this person will look at my freaking Instagram story. Like, (laughs) oh my God, like talk about crazy levels of trying to get validation. It's like, but that's the world we're in now where it's like people base their worth on how many likes they get, you know? And it's, it's so re- I mean, and trust me, I was that person in the beginning. I was like, Ooh, 95 people liked my thing today. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, I feel like I'm, that made me a better person. I was like, wait a minute. One, they don't know, you know, whatever. That's like a right. picture of me on a beach and I look amazing and it's awesome. But it's like, I don't look like that at freaking six o'clock in the morning when I wake up. <laughs> right. And that girl is just as loved. Right. Right. But trying to, to live this horribly deranged expectation, you know, it, it puts so much pressure on people and social media is great on one level. It's a destroyer on another and your self-worth only comes from within. It's only comes from you. And like, I always tell people like the simplest self-help, whatever, you know, tool that you can embody is self-worth. Yeah. Like as soon as you can truly and not like, oh, I love myself and I have self-worth. I'm no, so like, great. You, yeah. As <laughs> soon as you can like embody it and feel it and just be like, I'm fucking amazing. Like your world changes like yeah. without you even doing anything. And it's not like all of a sudden all your dreams come true, but you start to notice these little things that you're like, oh, okay. And, and this is my own story. Like really stepping into my own self-worth, which took 40 something years to truly accept. There were moments of it throughout my life where I was in my freaking worth. And I can tell you exact times because of what was happening in my life. But when I really got to that point of like, okay, this is me. I'm a little weird. I'm a little eccentric. (laughs) And I'm pretty awesome, you know? And it's it's such a empowering place and not an empowering place of, I'm better than anyone else around me. It's just, I'm good. And you can be good and you can be good. You can be not so good. And it's all good. Yeah. Well, and appreciating yourself. The fact that you got up, you took care of things, you went to work, you looked for a job, whatever it is, you appreciating the fact that you're doing it because life is really, really fucking hard. And I don't think we talk about that enough, that it is a challenge almost every day to do just about anything. And if you have a bad day, it's okay. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Please don't beat yourself up about that. Like it is okay. Well, I'm I'm all for one of saying, okay, like, and I've said this before, like if I fuck up, I'm like, well, that was a dumb thing to do, Miller. You know, and have that <laughs> moment 
and just because it's real and then move yeah. on from it. It's not beating myself Don't up. It's linger like, in it. yeah, yeah. It's acknowledging like, okay, well, not pleased about that, but okay. It happened moving on and, yeah. and stopping that habit of being your own disappointment and being your own villain and having that inner dialogue of how much you don't like yourself. That's what needs to stop and start looking for the things about yourself that are good and impressive. And it also like knowing that every time you do like screw up, like it isn't because of something that happened in your lifetime and because this is just the way you are, because this is the way your parent. there's not a huge story that has to be attached to it. And I think that's something that I know for myself and that I think happens a lot for people is like, well, okay, that's what I just do. That's how I was raised. People told me that's what I do. And it, it doesn't have to be that. No. You know, my mom said something interesting to me the other day. Like, I forget what I, oh, it was, (laughs) my mom was staying here while I was out of town um, to hang out with my son. And, you know, first of all, she rearranged my furniture as soon as I left, which is just, <laughs> it was, she, I literally was at, I literally, LAX is 15 minutes away. I think I called her like 45 minutes after I left. She's like, so I moved the furniture around. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, going to be okay with that. But you know, she has a particular way of doing things. My mom always has. And so when I got back from Texas, I came in and I had been at a week training. I was exhausted. I had my mom here, my nephew. I live in 900 square feet, right? It's a, a lot of people in a little space. So I came in, I put my suitcase down. I was like, I'm not even unpacking. They're leaving in two days. Like, we're just going to go do stuff. Right. And so we get home later that evening. And my mom's like, you know, it's like a hurricane came through here or a tornado or something came through here. Like you just all of a sudden now your stuff's everywhere. And I was like, well, I'm like, just kind of the way I am. And she's like, but you weren't raised like that. And I said, yes, you are correct. I said, but I said, as much as I value the way that you raised me, I said, it's just not me. Like for me to try and have everything in nice, neat, organized piles, isn't, it's just not me. And it took me a long time to accept that because my disheveledness, if you will, (laughs) uh, is actually pretty awesome. And, you know, the more I've become okay with these little things, you know, it was my mom kind of got it in that moment, which was awesome because, you know, it wasn't about you did something wrong, mom, in mm-hmm. raising me. It was about, that's just not who I am. And now I'm okay with it. Where before, prior, I would have picked everything up for her. I would I would have done everything I could to make it fit what she needed me to have fit. Right. Not because of her, because of me, of trying to fit into something, as opposed to now I'm just like, you know what? This is just kind of, this is me and yeah. I'm cool with it. Exactly. Self-acceptance. Yeah. It's self-acceptance and it took a long, you know, sure time to get here and I'm still, but it's the work. It's not just saying it. It's not feeling it in the minute. You have to do it like throughout the day, like yeah, minute by minute, basically it's, well, that's why I call embodiment and integration. You have to embody the stuff you guys, and you have to integrate it into your daily life. You know, whether it's a plant journey, microdosing, or just freaking acknowledging that you're a hot mess. (laughs) perfect all good (laughs) thank you so much noelle i really appreciate this conversation oh my god this is so much fun and it was nice to be on the other side of things like i was i was a little nervous i was like oh i'm getting interviewed but you know like i'm a pretty much an open book these days so it's all good i love it just love it so thank you for you know having me on as well my pleasure thank you you can find Noelle on her Instagram, Noelle Tubner, and that's N O E L 
T-E-U-B-N-E-R, and on her podcast website, theblissproject777.com. And be sure to visit our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group at rootedpg.com. Their website offers a lot of great information, and financial planning is an important tool in our financial health. Use it. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this sassy little podcast, please rate it and review it and tell your friends about it. To get the podcast early, ad-free, and with exclusive content, become a patron on Patreon. Go to the community page at sassylittlepodcast.com for more information. And let's connect. Find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at sassylittlepod or email me from the about page on the website. Until next time, take care. Take care.